Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this episode on the morning of April 20th. And not the morning after the Memphis Grizzlies just absolutely thrashed the Minnesota Timberwolves to respond after a, a tough game one to uh, even the series. So now they're going into Minnesota, series tied at one. And let's see if they can steal home court back. But before we talk about any of that, um, let me let you know how you can get in touch with the podcast and with the blog. So the Grizzly Beer Blues Podcast Network is a podcast under SB Nation Network. You can find it um, wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And with that, you'll get every single episode of the Longview Podcast, GBB Live, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Starting Five Podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is none other than my good friend, the producer of the Giannato and Jeffrey show every weekday from 2 to 4 on 92.9. He is also the host of the Sound and Color podcast. It's none other than Connor Dunning, friend of GBB, friend of the show, Connor how are you doing today, sir? I am doing fantastic. I'm still riding the high of last night's win. I got like maybe three hours of sleep. I rewatched the game when I got home because I was able to watch it without having the crippling fear of going down 0-2. And what an ass kicking it was. Ah, it was amazing. I'm feeling great. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. Obviously, I'll feel even better if the Grizzlies can steal one of these games in Minnesota. But, That'd be great. Uh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. But I mean, just the way that they responded last night, the the urgency and the intensity that they played with was great. And I mean, you know, the playoffs are a chess match. And I, I think Taylor Jenkins really uh, stepped up his game from game one, made some very key adjustments. You know, he kind of was forced into them with foul trouble, but he found something that worked and he didn't deviate back to what worked in uh, the 56-win regular season. He went with what was working in the here and now. And we're going to get into that. But I, I know, Connor, you were one that was a little frustrated with Taylor Jenkins. So what did, what did you make out of um, yesterday's performance, both from him, but just the team's um, overall focus in trying to uh, bounce back after a slow game one? Yeah, you know, my my frustration with Jenkins was actually less about, like, lineups and and on court stuff it was more like I mean I was in the arena for that game for game one and it was a frustrating game all around it just felt like hey man there were a few moments where he could have just lost his mind and maybe gone to battle a little bit for some of his guys like there were just some calls that just did not go the Grizzlies way that I thought that he could have been more vocal on and then the frustration challenge happened but all that being said I've always loved Taylor Jenkins. I've been a supporter of his since the day he got hired. And last night's game is an example of why. It's because when you give this guy time, he usually finds the correct adjustments to make. And to be quite honest, seeing that game three minutes in and realizing that Steven Adams wasn't the answer and making that change, it's very difficult to do. Steven Adams is an established NBA guy. He's a veteran. He, he brings a lot of respect with them. And you've got to give credit to both of these guys that he went to him and he was like, listen, man, this is just not working. I'm going to have to sit you. I got to go with Tillman 
which was fantastic. I mean, Tillman was just a revelation last night on the court. The energy that he brought was tremendous, but you've got to give credit to Taylor Jenkins there. And you also have to give credit to Steven Adams. I mean, everybody has seen the quotes by now of what he said to Jenkins when he was told that he's going to have to sit. And that is why you have a guy like Steven Adams in your city. That's why you, you know, we always talk about why veterans are so important for these teams and moments like that are because that's an, that sets an example to the rest of this team. Like, listen, if he's if he's okay with only playing three minutes so that we can get this win, every single person on this team needs to do everything that they possibly can to get this win. And, you know, this team, it's weird because yesterday I texted, I texted you and a couple of the guys and I said, you know, is anyone weirdly calm? Like I didn't, I was not nervous yesterday. I expected them to do this. And I think I said to y'all, you know, that's the luxury of having a team that gives a shit. That's the luxury of having a coach like Taylor, Taylor Jenkins, where you saw that after game one, they said that they were pissed off. They said that they weren't focused. They didn't come in ready. You knew that that wasn't just, you know, saying it for the sake of saying it. That wasn't just the right answers that they wanted to give the media. We have a track record of this team doing actually what they want to do. Like they, they said, listen, that was terrible. We did game one. We're disappointed in ourselves. We're going to come out and we're going to respond game two. And it's a luxury to be able to be like, yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. That's why everyone yesterday in Memphis on, on our radio shows, everybody picked the Grizzlies to win and to cover. Many, many people thought that they were going to win by double digits, which they did. And just having a team that you know that is going to bounce back after having a game like they did in game one, it's something that it's a luxury. Like, that's the only thing I can really call it. I don't think that other cities, other NBA franchises have that everywhere. Yes, you have it in the major cities, the better teams. But I don't know. Like, there's something about this group where I just had a full trust in them to bounce back in this game and do what they did last night. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. and I'm going to – like, I don't want to be that guy, especially with, like, 2020 be, – like, hindsight always being 2020. But, like, I, I had always felt better about game two than game one. You know, the week off, um, Minnesota is just fresh. You're kind of amped up. Uh, you're the two seed, they're the seven seed. I, I always felt more comfortable in game two, even though originally I thought they were going to win both games. But, you know, this team, they they really locked in. And I know people were kind of clowning the mentality a little bit, especially with John Morant's last dance post. But, I mean, talk about our response there. I mean, he comes in and drops a he, – he literally messed around and almost got a triple-double, 23 points, 10 assists, nine <laughs> rebounds. Uh, but I, I really – do with Steven Adams, just his, his remarks about uh, not uh, playing much in the playoffs or in that game last night. I mean, it kind of speaks to who he is a, as a character and as a locker room leader. Um, I, I will say, and I said this to a few people, you know, this was a potential byproduct of that Adams Allen Junis trade is that it's probably easier to shift away from Adams if you need to than it would have been Jonas Valanciunas. I don't know if you could have done what you did last night with Jonas Valanciunas, both because, you know, Jonas Valanciunas is an impactful offensive player, but also at the same time, I don't know if Jonas would have flown with that. But also at the same time, like, I mean, there's been plenty of times this season where they they didn't go with Steven Adams in crunch time moments, and you don't really see anybody, you know, like, oh, why aren't they putting Steven Adams in the game? Like how they would have with Valanciunas, but, um, yeah, I, I got to give kudos to the Grizzlies and how they responded to the coaching staff and how they responded because that was an emphatic statement, and that's a, that's a very uh, pivotal adjustment that they had made 
And uh, I, you got to give respect, especially you, you don't want to like go overblown with adjustments after game one, because that kind of comes across as uh, overreactionary and desperation. But I, I think the Grizzlies teetered with it in the right way. And they made the, the correct adjustments to now where feel pretty confident going, going into uh, Minnesota that they could, you know, maybe steal one of those games. Hopefully they steal both of those games and you go back into Memphis with Minnesota facing elimination, but props to this team. I, like you said, it's, it's nice having a team that gives a shit. Yeah. And, you know, to your point about what I like to your point, they didn't overcorrect. They didn't over adjust. And that's because you didn't really have to, because you and I have talked a lot since, since game one had happened. We talked a lot afterwards and, you know, it was just kind of an ugly game all around. The energy wasn't there. The Timberwolves are hitting some shots that they, let's be quite honest, that they just should not have been making. They were making some extremely tough shots. And when you really looked at the game, to me, game one came down to a, a few things. It came down to three-point shooting, free throw shooting, and you let two of their bench guys pop off. So the adjustments were a lot more simple, I think, than people wanted to make them out to be. The Grizzlies basically were like, okay, we're going to hit our free throws. Great. That's what they did last night. We're going to make sure that they don't get all these offensive rebounds, which was killing them in game one. And they did that last night. Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman, I mean, they were absolutely tremendous. Brandon Clark was tremendous in game one as well. Hopefully this series is starting to prove to people, hey, man, like maybe that Jaron five, Brandon Clark four lineup, you know, or that future that we want to see is, is, is a possibility because the athleticism that Brandon Clark has added when he goes in, is just tremendous. But I mean, the main thing that I think that the Grizzlies did is that they said, okay, um, we're going to blitz the paint and if, and they can try to stop us. I mean, that's basically what John Morant did in the first quarter. One of the reasons that the free throw rate was insane. And like, let's be honest, that was crazy. Like, so, and it, it looks like that someone got word to these refs, like, Hey, knock it off because the whistle got a lot looser after the first quarter mm -hmm. for the rest of the game. I didn't really notice the refs after the first quarter, but I mean, Let's be quite honest. They, it was, a, I think, a playoff record for free throws in the first quarter. That's insane. But a big part of that is because John Morant was just like, I'm going to run at the basket and see if they can stop me. <laughs> and it was kind of – and they couldn't. And I, I really enjoyed that strategy from the Grizzlies. It got Carl Anthony Towns in trouble. It threw him off his game. He could never really get into rhythm for the game. And it caused a lot of frustration from their Timberwolves. And that's the one thing that the Grizzlies were really able to capitalize on was the emotional side of the Timberwolves. It, it looked like that once they realized that they had them on their back heels, they just kept throwing punches. And eventually, the Timberwolves just kind of rolled over. Or, or somewhere in the third quarter, they just kind of were like, okay, there was an Anthony Edwards, like really, like, really, really frustration foul, I think, on Tyus Jones on the fast break. And that was kind of the moment you knew, okay, this one's wrapped up. Let's get ready for, for Minnesota game three because, you know, I think that the Grizzlies dominated last night. I think that the Grizzlies showed that that is why a lot of people picked them to win this series in five or six. They still got to be ready for these Timberwolves when they go up to Minnesota because that crowd's going to be that crowd's going to be ready to go. And this is still a very talented Minnesota Timberwolves team. But I think if you can take the blueprint of what you did in Game Two, it's very It's it. It's easy to copy. It's not hard to do again because, like you said, they didn't do really that many things. They just made a lineup change and they made sure that they just executed on the defensive end of the basketball. And it's that simple sometimes. We talk about it all the time when I come on this podcast with you. Basketball is a simple sport. Don't overcomplicate it. And it seemed like last night, Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies simply did not overcomplicate the game. They did what they were supposed to do. And it was great to see. 
Yeah, it was, it was very quite simple. I mean, you know, I had asked Taylor Jenkins about uh, potential adjustments going into uh, game two, and it was specifically with like the pick and roll coverages, defensive coverages, how the Timberwolves are trying to put Steven Adams in spread pick and roll situations to where he would have either had guard Anthony Edwards on the switch or Carl Anthony Towns off the pop. He said they were confident with the game plan. And, you know, whenever a coach says that after what happened in a previous playoff game, you're like, oh, okay, like, I'll, I'll trust you, but kind of antsy. But, I mean, they, they executed, granted, lineup tinkering, kind of, that happened. But I, I got to give credit to really the, the, the first guy we'll touch on in this, in this pod, and, and Xavier Tillman. I mean, the Grizzlies, they entered some foul trouble because, like you said, that first quarter was abysmal. I mean – I understand having to call the game and making calls that you think are right calls, but at the same time, that flow was off. And like you said, it was, it was almost like a, hey, uh, knock it off. There's a playoff game to be played. We're not, we're not trying to be here until 8.30 the next morning. And, the, you know, the, the whistle became a little looser and game kind of flowed well and it worked in the Grizzlies' favor. But somebody that benefited from that tight whistle was Xavier Tillman. And... Um, you know, because Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, they all got two fouls uh, within the first quarter. So who, who does that leave in and take center minutes? Xavier Tillman. And I, I, I got to admit, I got to admit, you know, when I saw before game one that or before game two that the Grizzlies needed to go play John Conchar and Xavier Tillman, I'm like, guys, the Minnesota Timberwolves just played Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards 40 minutes while no Grizzlies starter played 35. The answer isn't to go deeper. It's to play your better players more. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, specifically, you know, with Xavier Tillman, I was like, okay, Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson, when they were together at the four and the five, they had a plus minus a nine total, not like per 100 possessions or anything. Like they, they outscored the Timberwolves by nine points. And I was like, okay, like you could probably get away with this because Kyle Anderson, he does a really good job guarding Towns. You could put Clark in that little uh, roamer spot that they had Jaron in, and you know you can have something work there. I would play those guys more. Uh, but Xavier Tillman, he he answered the call. He stayed ready. He just brought a hell of a lot of energy. And uh, you you kind of forget what just this season for him and how um he wasn't in the rotation I don't even think it was much of anything that he did granted I didn't think he played as well as he did his rookie season but I mean you have Brandon Clark bouncing back you have Jaron Jackson Jr. healthy you have Steven Adams demolishing the offensive glass and uh leading the league in screen assists you have Kyle Anderson they want to play him more at the four when you have a good team there's going to be good players at set and that's what happened with Xavier Tillman this year but he answered the bell he made life difficult for Carl Anthony Towns he was able to switch onto guards like D'Angelo Russell. I know uh, there was one sequence in particular where we forced him baseline to where D'Angelo Russell had to hook him, and then it led into an offensive foul. Uh, Xavier Tillman, he rolled hard to the basket, set hard screens. He just made the right plays, and you know now it kind of alters the trajectory of his outlook, not even uh, beyond this season, but also for just his role in – the here and now and for the Grizzlies trying to win a championship. So um, kudos to him. I really think that, you know, having a versatile center who still has, I know he doesn't have a whole lot of height, but I mean, that's a big dude. And when you have a big dude like that, who can body up with bigs in the paint, but also has the nimbleness to keep up with guards 
or even a, a big man like Carl Anthony Towns on the perimeter, that's a very valuable asset to have as, in, in all honesty, your fifth big man off the bench. So, Connor, where, where do you stand on Xavier Tillman's performance last night and just his role going forward into this postseason? I mean, I, he was he was tremendous last night, you know, and I'm I'm old enough to remember when people were telling us coming into the playoffs that the Grizzlies depth wouldn't matter. That if anything, it was a bad thing. Remember those conversations? Yeah. Uh, so I think that Xavier Tillman it has a spot now for at least this series. He's got to. Right. He's got to be like one of the I think probably the first big off or not the first big off the bench, but probably behind uh, behind Brandon. Like yeah. he's going to have to have a big role in this because you talked about it. it's that defensive versatility that he has. He can guard, he can guard the the guards. He can also get physical with the centers. And I think that one thing, he almost has this luxury of, you know, I've got six fouls, so I can be really physical with these guys. And if I foul out, it's not the worst thing in the world type of deal going on mm. with his game with his game too. So I think that, that was one thing that you were able to focus on is that if you go and you watch the game, like I watched it twice. So he was physical with Carl Anthony Towns, man. He was pushing him around. He was getting under his skin. Like, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns was trying to trip him against that. Like, he's pulling a Grayson Allen on him. <laughs> uh, so, I thought that Xavier Tillman was tremendous. And it wasn't just the defensive side of the ball, though. He was also great on offense. He was efficient. He was six and seven from the field. He was catching the basketball. That was one of the weird things that happened with Steven Adams in game one. He just couldn't catch the ball. And, and, and Xavier Tillman was able to do that last night. And he was just able to put the for the ball in the hoop. It was a great game overall from him. And, the, and when they drafted him, that's kind of the role that I think that they envisioned him having, you know, break in, case, break in case of emergency type of bid. We could throw him in. He's versatile. We know that we could trust him on the defensive end of the ball, and he can surprise you offensively. He just brought that spark that I think that the Grizzlies needed in game two because that, that first quarter was a war, man. It, like, it could go either way. But as soon as he kind of got inserted into that game, it felt like that a calmness kind of hit the Grizzlies because it was like, okay, he's going to be able to handle Carl Anthony Towns on that end of the floor. He's going to be able to help rebounding. And we just know he's going to be in the right spots, which allowed the two guys are all defensive level NBA players, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks to put the other people in absolute hell last night. It was fun to see those two guys put on a defense, defensive, uh, defensive performance like they did. Dylan offensively wasn't great last night. He was pretty good in game one, but he brought it on the defensive end. Jaron Jackson Jr. just had a great game too, man. Seeing him get that dunk, seeing him hit a couple of threes, that's huge for the Grizzlies moving forward. If Jaron can be productive in this series moving forward, to be quite honest, I don't think there's anything that the, the Timberwolves can do. If Jaron's going to be hitting his threes, if he's going to be playing defense, if he's going to be aggressive down low, being physical, which he was in the second half last night, that that is very, very bad for the Timberwolves. Yeah, I 100% agree. And quite frankly, if Jaron Jackson is doing what he did last night against the Minnesota Timberwolves, where, you know, he's spacing the floor, he's right. rebounding. Well, what's really funny too, Connor, I, I, I'll get back to my point about the playoffs real quick, but, you know, everybody always has criticized Jaron Jackson Jr. for his rebounding. And, I, you know, what's funny is when you shift him over to the five, when rebounds are available, he gets them. It's an incredibly it's crazy like he, concept. It's almost like he's been playing with guys like Jonas Valanciunas or Steve Adams for his whole career, so they suck up the rebounds. You know, exactly. that's, you know that's just a theory. It's just yeah, it's I almost mean, it's also almost like the Grizzlies are one of the best team rebounding teams in the league too. That you know, but that but hey, 
Jaron doesn't get 10 rebounds, so he sucks. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, it's like, hey, <laughs> it's like what you just said. Basketball is simple, and that, that's a very simple. simple concept. But again, use, you know, use your eyes. <laughs> when, when he's that factor defensively, and I, I, will, I will say there's one particular play, and granted, it's Patrick Beverly. He is not some like awesome offensive player or anything, but he got Jaron on a switch. And he tried to drive on Jaron and do that Rondo ball fake. And Jaron's just like kind of standing there. He's like, dude, I'm a foot taller than you. You're not going to get this shot off over me. And Beverly tried to just like flip it in. No good. And that like when you have a seven foot, seven foot, seven foot one center with that kind of mobility defensively to switch on a guards, especially when he's being smart defensively, he's going to just put guards in hell. But also too, just how he spaces the floor. That's what's really important for the Grizzlies going forward because He's the only front court player, and by front court player, I mean non-wing or non-guard player, that has any sort of shooting gravity and that can really shoot the ball. Kyle Anderson doesn't, even though the Minnesota Timberwolves bid on every single pump fake like he was Kevin Durant. It was incredibly <laughs> crazy, to be honest. Um, Xavier Tillman doesn't have that. Brandon Clark doesn't have that. If Jaron is shooting the ball like he did last night, it just really opens up the Grizzlies' offense. It allows John Morant to get in the paint. It allows Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain to get into the mid-range. It allows guys like Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman to roll harder and more effectively when you have a multitude of guys, especially your big man, who can just space out the floor and just – really just stretch out the defense and make you cover, make you or make them cover you from all areas of the court. It was it was a very, very good response game from Jaron because, you know, he said to the media that in game one, he thought he played shitty. And I think it's really interesting that he said that because I mean, he had seven blocks in 24 minutes, but you know, five fouls, Oh, five from three. I thought he missed some, you know, momentum swinging threes in that game one, but that's a that was a very emphatic response from Jaron Jackson Jr. And just seeing that two-way effectiveness from him last night, I mean, that that's what really takes Memphis to the next level, if we're going to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, and to be quite honest, just seeing a young team like this bounce back and come into this game extremely focused, having a game plan, and knowing how to execute on both sides of the ball – is extremely valuable. I said it at the beginning of the show, like it's a luxury. It's a luxury that when we were going into that game, we knew when Jaron said, I got you, that he actually meant that when he was talking to John Morant. We knew that when John Morant put up that that gif or the Instagram post of Jordan, that he wasn't messing around. That wasn't for show. That was him being like, okay, I hear y'all talking shit. This is great. Which is also, I want to say thank you to the NBA for uh, announcing the Defensive Player of the Year award before game two happened and showing the finalists because you know I just love it when the Grizzlies get motivation from nowhere it, it's just it's it's tremendous because they do kind of have that Jordan thing in them where they will make up conversations with people to, to motivate themselves and I just thought that it was tremendous that you know they're using that fuel to just put a beat down on the Timberwolves last night and like I said I think it's replicable like just do what you did last night the Timberwolves are going to adjust, adjust to their adjustments, and you'll be okay. Blitz the, just keep blitzing the paint, keep spacing the floor. I mean, Dylan Brooks talked about it big time. He said, you know, when John Morant came back, all of us got so many wide open threes all of a sudden, we have to hit them. And if they do, they're going to be able to win. That is the MO for this team. If they can just kind of hover around 
the Timberwolves three point shooting and just kind of stay in the same realm as them, you're going to be okay. Real quick though, can we just talk about how like let's stop caring about Patrick Beverly? I like I the booze are fun, but like really like he he kind of stinks. It, it there's he is not the level of player that we should be doing this for. Like don't let this dude. We should not be giving him this attention. He doesn't deserve it. He stinks. He was terrible last night, dude. He wasn't very good in game one either. Like, he's not a very good basketball player anymore. He's not an all-defensive level player. I don't know how this narrative kind of started coming into this series. John Morant had that dude in hell last night. He couldn't stay in front of him. Or, yeah, like, Patrick Beverly could not stay in front of Jaw last night. He couldn't no. do anything. He couldn't do anything. So, like, let's stop giving this guy so much credit because – he doesn't do anything when he's on the basketball court. If anything, he's helping the Grizzlies. Like he, <laughs> he should have been wearing a Grizzlies dude. uniform last night. I swear, I was well. For one, it kind of goes back to that Russell Westbrook quote where he said that Patrick Beverly is just running around and tricking y'all. Like yes. that because like, <laughs> like this he, dude, he, this dude got caught in every ball screen. He's terrible, dude. He was so bad last night. He was so bad, and then he would do these fat, and then he would do these ticky tack frustration fouls that would that came out that we were like what are you doing like it, they, he, the, the Grizzlies would be like half court like walking the ball up and he'd be fouling people and it's like what are you doing man so I thought that he just made a ton of bad decisions last night so let's stop giving him so much credit and just you know it's just that was one one thing it's just I don't understand how Patrick Beverly becomes became such a talking point coming into the series. But real quick though, I do want to give credit to two guys on the defensive end of the ball though. Hold on, I can, think I, can I say this... something about Patrick Beverly? Oh, real yes, quick? yes, absolutely. So I saw your your host, one of your hosts, Jeffrey Wright. You know, he said, you know, like, or, like why waste the energy of booing Patrick Beverly? And I right. agree. I think that energy should now be transferred towards Carl Anthony Towns for sticking his leg out on a ball yes. screen on Jaw. Like I let's let's transfer that energy to Cat. Uh, Grizz Nation, but with, with Beverly, like I think we should be cheering every time he gets the ball because <laughs> that's what you want. That's what you want if you're a defense defending Minnesota. You don't want yes. the ball in Ant's hands. You don't want the ball in D'Lo's hands. You don't want the ball in Cat's hands. When you can get that, uh, when you get a lot of stuff going from Patrick Beverly, you need to just soak all that up. That's exactly what you want. So Grizz Nation, stop booing Patrick Beverly when he gets the ball. In fact, enjoy it because that's exactly uh, what the Grizzlies defense wants from them. I love that's that all. so much. Start Go cheering ahead. when he catches the ball. Yeah, man, last night was a lot of Nat, Nas Reed, Torian Prince, Patrick Beverly threes. Like, what was going on? Like, Nas Reed took, like, three threes. I was like, what is happening? Like, why am I – and Torian Prince, man, like thought, thought he was KD for like five minutes there. I think it was like in the second or third quarter. It's just, it's weird. Sometimes some of their guys just go into this ISO mode. It's like, hey, you have Anthony Edwards. Give him the ball. Like that guy's awesome. Hey, watching oh, yeah. Anthony Edwards is genuinely fun to watch. Like that guy is incredible. And they do have something up there in Minnesota. And like I said, I still think this is going to be kind of a war of a series. I think the Grizzlies were just like, listen, we're the better team. We know who we are. And they came out and they, it was a statement game. They were like, listen, we're the two seed. We're going to put it on y'all tonight. You better get ready for the rest of the series. And if the Timberwolves don't adjust, it's going to look like it did in game two, the rest, the rest of the series. It really will. I expect it to be more like the, the, the regular season series where it's kind of a battle, but I still think the Grizzlies are going to win this series in five or six. It's just that game last night was one of those where, it, it felt like a reminder. Like the Grizzlies had listened to all the shit talking that people have been doing 
for the last week and a half about them, how, you know, they're too cocky coming in. They're too young. They're not ready yet. You know, Minnesota is a terrible matchup against the Grizzlies. And it felt like all of that rage came out last night on the Minnesota Timberwolves. But real quick, the two guys I wanted to give credit on the defensive end that never really get credit on the defensive end. I thought Ja was great last night. Yeah. And I thought that Desmond Bain was great last night too. Those guys were really good on the defensive end of the floor last night. And one of the main things that they did was they just didn't bite. A lot of pump fakes guys kept on the ground. They stayed on the ground. And that is such a big deal because you can, you can adjust so quickly when someone tries to pump fake you and you don't jump, you're still right there. And it was great to see, you know, because in game one, they were biting on those a lot and they were flying by them. But in game two, they stayed on the ground, stayed in front of those guys, and it allowed Dylan Brooks to really, really dig in on some of those guys because he didn't have to help other work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think one thing that's very beneficial is I, like, I get, so honestly, they flip flop that matchup so much, it's hard to keep track. But, you know, when you have Desmond Bain guarding D'Angelo Russell, Russell just doesn't have the strength to keep up with Bain. Granted, he's shifty right. and he's still a very dangerous factor into the series, but he doesn't have the explosiveness to really get by uh, Desmond Bain and his physicality, nor like when it's D- Dylan Brooks, like, good luck. But I, I think those two guys play <laughs> well. Uh, I think with Ja in particular, defensively, one thing that's very nice is because he's mainly guarding Beverly, he can float a little more. He doesn't like he's he doesn't have to guard Patrick Beverly that much because he's not much of a factor. So I, I think he's really done a good job locking in defensively. Um, real quick to get and I know we're close to having a wrap up here, but I do want to get to one player that's really been catching my eye defensively, and that's Brandon Clark, especially in these switches. Yes. Like he, I tell you what, his postseason so far, I mean, th- we, we've been taking victory laps all season about his bounce back because it was just too easy to predict coming. And yes. th- yeah, it's like, hey, man, let the guy be healthy. Exactly. <laughs> let, hey, let, let this guy play basketball um, when he can actually, you know, get some rest and not, and have to like, actually have a normal practice schedule unlike the pandemic season but what do we know you gotta yeah whatever but uh no brandon clark uh obviously he's been a good offensive pop you know he rolls with intention uh he just really knows how to just kind of put the kill shot on teams and just put them away with his his dunks his rolling because because he i mean i looked up and he had like a quick like six seven points in that fourth quarter to really kind of dude put he into the run he jumps so fast. And I think that that's, that's gotta be something like, it's just whenever you see a shot go up and he's on the floor, he's the first person you see in the air. Mm -hmm. Like he jumps so quick and he is, he has a great ability to read the ball off the rim too. So he's always in the right spot for a rebound. And one thing that he does very well, and he did it great last night against Carl Anthony Towns. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll I'll do this point real quick and then I'll throw it back to you. It's he loose balls. He likes he, if he doesn't get the rebound, he usually smacks it out of the other guy's hand and it's on the ground. So like Kyle Anderson, like he and Kyle Anderson last night got a lot of loose balls from rebounds that Carl Anthony Towns, Tori and Prince, Nas Reed, or one of their bigger guys brought down, but they would bring the ball down to like their waist, and Brandon and Kyle would just smack that shit out of their hands. Like that was one thing that they were doing really well last night, was they were not giving up on plays at all. Mm-mm. No. But one thing in particular, one defensive sequence that caught my eye 
is, you know, he's been taking a lot of these switches on to like D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards. And I mean, he's been forcing them out of passes because he moves really shifty in those switches. I mean, he's not, he's basically a wing sized big, which is both beneficial to him, but also could be a hindrance at times. But there was that one in particular sequence where he just forced Anthony Edwards to his left so hard that he forced him to go almost to like the sideline and forced him into like an end of the shot clock fadeaway corner three. And I was just like, man, he's really like locking up defensively right now. This is good to see. But I mean, seeing because, you know, with, with non shooters, you especially in today's NBA, you really do pay attention to the postseason and say, okay, how can they navigate that shooting flaw in a way where they can still find their effectiveness in the postseason? Because when they can't, they're not postseason players. And you know, that's something that you worry about with Brandon Clark because you know he didn't play in last year's playoffs and he is a non-shooter. I mean, he's just showing that he can just wreak havoc with his with his energy, his role gravity, his switchability, and just seeing his versatility shine um, at this stage. It's really going to bode well for him, especially with uh, this extension coming up. Obviously, conversations for another pod, but I, I've been very happy with what we – I mean, I think everyone should be really happy with what they've seen from Brandon Clark and, quite frankly, the, the rest of the Grizzlies' front court as well. Yeah, I, I think that Brandon Clark is a really valuable piece of this team. I think chemistry-wise, I think on the court play, it's just his defensive versatility unlocks a lot of things for the Grizzlies and his lob ability too on the offensive end. Like you always have to be aware of him. He's, he's a great cutter. He's a great runner to the rim. So everyone's got to be ready for that at all times. And, you know, I just think, again, it's just, this is the depth of the Grizzlies, man. Shout out to the front office because two guys last night, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman may have changed the tide of the entire series. Just mm-hmm. the, the, their insertion into the game, trusting them with these minutes. Another thing is too, man, like everyone on the Grizzlies knows who they are. They know yep. what their role is. They know why they're there. That's why, like, Steven Adams, hey, coach, I'll be there when you need me. I understand. I can't help the team right now. He knows who he is. He knows who he is. There's not egos in that locker room that give a damn about, I need to take this many shots a game. I need to play this many minutes a game. I need to touch the ball this many times in the game, or I'm not going to be happy, and I'm going to cause havoc. You just don't have that here. You don't have it here. It seems like the singular focus of this team is to win. And that is tremendous. And that is something that you can trust as a fan. And when you're rooting for a team, you can see that come through, like how much fun that fun they have. Like, I thought it was kind of like, I thought it was kind of fun that you could see some of the players jog got pulled and he still was one rebound short of that triple double. Like you could see some of them were like, ah, like, come on, let them get, you know, let them get that, let them get that rebound. Let them get that triple double. Because if, if I'm not mistaken, would it, it would have been the first triple double in franchise history in the playoffs, right? I think so. Yeah. I think, I think so. so. Yeah. So that would have been a fun moment, but you know, it's just like that. It's just, they look like they have fun when they play and I have fun watching them and damn it. If it wasn't fun watching the, that arena last night too, because let me tell you this, there is only one city in the world that what that trick could become the beloved tradition that it is. And that city is Memphis, Tennessee, watching people scream whoop that trick on television or being in the arena with them it's a feeling that you really can't describe to anyone else unless you've experienced it. When you look to your left and your right and you see like a 60 year old white woman screaming, whoop that trick. You look to your left and you see like a five-year-old also screaming, whoop that trick. You're like, ah, yes. The circle of life 
continues. And it just, it was amazing, man. Last night was euphoria in Memphis. That was what we envisioned this playoff run could possibly be, possibly be. And I hope that, you know, it was a preview for the rest of the series. And, you know, I think that they got it, man. I just, I do. Like last night was one of those games where I was like, okay, they made all the, all the adjustments. The adjustments weren't like super complicated. Like we talked about, they were really kind of basic. They can replicate it. Let's put it on them in game three again, man. Take back one of those home games, steal back home court. I'm going to be in the arena for game five. Let's do this, man. Let's freaking do this. I'm ready. Like that game last night has me so fired up. And I feel like it reignited the entire city's like fire for this playoff series because everybody was a little, we were a little nervous after game one. There was a little like, oh, okay, we're a little nervous. We felt confident going into game two, but now I feel like the fever is back, back all the way up. Oh yeah, it is. It is just quite an extravagant euphoric experience. And uh, quite honestly, uh, this podcast and really talking about all this stuff again, really kind of just like woke me up once again. Uh, I don't know if y'all, y'all saw on Twitter, but, I mean, I got, I like, I usually like go into the gym in the mornings. I left my headphones at home. Uh, so uh, I had to listen to dude, the gym. That's tunes. the worst. Dude, and man, I was dragging. Gym, uh, bro, raw dog in the gym is rough it without is headphones. Tough. Yeah. No, it was thank tough. You. So, and also my body's just accustomed to caffeine at this point. So the pre workout wasn't really hitting. But, anyways, <laughs> I'm going to get off my kick because I got to wrap up here. I'll ask you one final question. I'll give my quick thoughts uh, as we're wrapping up. But let's say you're, you're Taylor Jenkins. You're going into game three. You know what happened in game two. So who starts next to Jaron? And who defends Cat? And who's that center field roamer defending the paint? Um, I think that's cool. it's going to be Ja, Bain, Dylan. And then I think it's – Probably Jared and Tillman, man. Honestly, maybe Clark. I think it depends on what he wants. Like, does he want more offense or does he want more defense? If I had to assume, he's probably going to want more defense. So, I think that Tillman might get the start, man. I really do. Um, I could also see Kyle Anderson getting a start, too, because, you know, he likes his versatility. But I see Brandon being kind of the roamer, I think, very much like he was in game two. But I don't know. Like I could see any of those three guys starting. I, I guess I'm saying this. I don't think Steven's going to start. I think that he's going to see that, you know, it worked in the first half, worked in the second half. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? So I think that one of those three guys are going to start. If I had to guess right now, I'd probably say Tillman is the favorite to start for me. That, that would be very interesting. Like, I, I think that's, you know, one adjustment that you really are very interested to see if uh, going into game three, I personally think they're going to start Kyle Anderson uh, next to Steven or next to J- Jaron Jackson. He started the second half, right? He started the second half. He yeah. Was, yeah. That's why, that's why I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, Kyle might be that. I think he, he'd be at the four. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to have Kyle on cat because I think what's really kind of slept on is uh, Kyle has really good defensive fortitude. Like he just kind of is very good at holding his ground defensively. And also too, he has like a seven foot two or seven foot three wingspan. So yes. when you have Jaron Jackson Jr. as that roamer and then you decide a double cat between Jaron and Anderson, that's a lot of length right there. Uh, preventing well, passing. And cat is passing not game. good. And cat's not good passing. He's very bad passing the ball. Like he's, he's, he's a good just, passer. He's just erratic. 
he just kind of throws it, man. Like <laughs> he overshoots guys a lot. And I think that Kyle Anderson's length probably has something to do with that too. Yeah. That seven, two wings, man, man. Yeah. Oof. And then I would keep Jaren as the roamer because, it, because I mean, he's your best shot blocker. He can cover a lot of ground. And if teams are really going to try to, you know, if they're going to try to go to that pick and roll and get switches. Okay, great. Now, D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards. Now go get a bucket on Kyle Anderson or Jaron Jackson Jr. So that, right. that's where I stand. But uh, Connor, that's about all the time we have. Do you have anything else before we wrap up here? You want to let the people know where they can find you and your stuff? Yeah. Uh, C Downing929 on Twitter, two to four every day on Giannato and Jeffrey on 929 FM ESPN. Uh, Sound and Color podcast. You can find us. We got a new episode coming out soon about uh everything everywhere all at once which is literally one of the greatest movies i've ever seen in my life it engaged me emotionally in ways that i was not prepared and it's just incredible it's a it's a phenomenal movie so be on the lookout for that go grizz man hope to see everybody for game five it's it was awesome running into a lot of people game one that you know talked to me on twitter and they've heard me on the podcast on this podcast uvb stuff like it was really cool the community of Grizz Nation is, I think, one of my favorite things. And when everybody gets to come together, I mean, it's just – it was so much fun being able to experience a playoff game with – you know, it felt normal for the first time really in two years, and that was special. And I and I cannot wait to experience that again in game five. Hopefully they're coming back with a chance to close out the series. How amazing would that be? So just go Grizz, man. Just go freaking Grizz. Yeah, it was – it was awesome. Very, very great to be in the grindhouse and – See, playoff basketball again. It's been too long. And, you know, Connor, I always enjoy chatting with you, talking hoops with you. I'm sure we'll do this again here soon. But you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you are checking out the blog over at Grizzly Bear Blues for all the best Grizzlies coverage. I mean, we got recaps. We got features. We got podcasts. We got it all. So make sure y'all check us out. Check out the podcast network wherever you get your podcast. And – that's all, folks. 